Well, good morning. Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last week with verse 57. Last week, we read about Luke's account of the angel's visit to Mary. Uh, The angel came to tell her uh, what God was going to do, how he was going to disrupt her life, how this young girl was going to give birth to a miraculously conceived child. Remember all that? Who would be God in human flesh come to save mankind from sin. We saw her amazing response of faith. Though certainly not on the same scale, you and I have all experienced divine disruptions, haven't we? Heaven-sent circumstances, unexpected intervention that, that though it has brought some chaos and confusion, yet when we by faith, embrace what the Lord is doing, we find great blessing. Not only do we want to become people who are receptive to the divine disruptions that the Lord brings into our life by surrendering to those things that he chooses for us, by connecting with others who will walk with us and encourage us and challenge us and keep us faithful and living out these disruptions, but also by choosing to worship in the midst of the messiness. Remember, that's what we saw Mary do in each of those things last week. But even beyond that, beyond embracing these disruptions that God brings into our lives individually, we want to become people who join his greater disruption. Not just a disruption of of our personal life, but uh, of the bigger picture. We want to join God's disruption of history, of its ways and of its end. We want to join his rebellion, if you will, to to go against the current and the flow of culture. We want to choose to to swim upstream and and to live differently. There, I've used all the catchphrases from those 1990s t-shirts that you found in Christian bookstores, haven't I? But that's, that's the idea. That's what we need to embrace. And, and we're not just talking about morality. We're not just talking about our values or our character. We're talking about that greatest disruption of all. When we make the choice to expend our life to obtain God's objective. When, when we invest ourselves in the thing the Savior came for to seek and to save the lost to seek and to save those who are, in, who are alienated from him by their sin. That is God's great disruptive objective. It's the reason Christ came. It's, it, it's the reason he died on the cross. It's the task, dear friends, that he has given us. And it's the task for which he has empowered us as well. 
With that in mind, I want to take a look at our text for this morning. I want to read it. I'd like you to follow along in your Bibles. Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 57. I'm going to invite you to stand. That way I know you're awake. And it is also an outward show of respect for the Word of God. So, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 57, Luke records, Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father, but his mother responded, no, he will be called John. Then they said to her, none of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them and all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart saying, what then will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew up, became spiritually strong. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Father, I pray that this morning that your spirit would fall on us. God, that we might hear your word. And through it, Lord, you might speak to our hearts and our minds. That you might bring change, encouragement, assurance. That you would achieve what you desire, Lord. God, give us a heart that is willing to hear from you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we saw last week that God had intervened into the 
lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth, this old childless couple. And he made his claim upon them. He disrupted their lives by not giving them a son until they were very old. The Lord put his claim on them and upon their son, and he sent an angel to Zechariah to explain it all to him. But Zechariah and Elizabeth, they still have a choice to make, don't they? They could have taken the baby and ran, right? I mean, they could have finally gotten that thing from God that they wanted for so long, and then it just chose to run their, their own path, their own course. We do that, don't we? Oh, Lord, if you just answer this prayer, if you just do this thing, Lord, whatever you want, Oh, but man, the minute we get it, we're not, we're not nearly as in tune with the Lord. We're not really seeking him so desperately to know exactly what it is he wants us to do. Too often when we get what we want from God, we run off to do our own thing. Zechariah and Elizabeth could have done that. But they didn't. They didn't. Uh, look at verse 57 there. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she had a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to them and they rejoiced with her. Oh, what a beautiful thing. Well, what a beautiful thing. What a great reminder for us of the fact that everything good that comes into our lives comes from God. This child had not come until the end of their days, and yet this child was a gift from God. James 1.17 says it so plainly. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change. Dear friends, we need to remember and we need to consider to recognize the source of our blessings. It's not us. It's not because we're so awesome. It's not because we've worked so hard, though we work hard. And some of you are awesome. Not many, but some. But it isn't because of that. These good gifts don't come from that. These good gifts come from God because of his goodness. So what will they do with it? Well, verse 59, when the day came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they're going to name him Zechariah. They're going to name him after his father. It was a family thing. It was the tradition of that day. They were identifying him as being a son of Zechariah, of being a part of this family, of being a part of the lineage. But his mother responded, no. He will be called John. Now, why was that? Well, it's because the angel had told them. The angel had told them his name will be called John. And so the family, they're shocked by this break from tradition, the break of how things are supposed to work. And so they go to Zechariah and they ask him, wait a minute, what's going on? What is this son going to be called? And Zechariah gets a writing tablet. He scribbles out on it. His name is to be called John. I think this is about more than a name. I mean, it is just a name. It's just a small decision that they make. And yet it's a decision that really shows the direction, the orientation of their hearts. I think it's a symbolic moment when Zechariah and Elizabeth are breaking from tradition. They are breaking away from going the direction that everyone would expect them to go. 
And they are instead choosing to do the thing that God has clearly told them to do. He's to be called John. This child isn't about them. He is more than just the answer to their prayers. He is more than just the next son in a lineage of fathers and sons and fathers and sons. He is more than just the continuation of their family. He is the child that God put into their hands for their care to prepare him to be a prophet of God. You see, John's arrival in their family wasn't so much about Zechariah and Elizabeth as it was about God. It was about accomplishing his thing, not their thing. You know, that is, that is probably the hardest thing. I, I think it's parents and as followers of Christ learning to lay down our thing. Learning to lay down our thing and instead embrace his thing. And yet this is the most basic thing of what it means to be a follower of Christ. When Jesus gathered the crowds to himself along with his disciples there in Mark chapter 8, there beginning in verse 34, what does he say? If anyone would come after me, you want to follow me, you want to be my disciple. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what does that look like? How's it going to work? Jesus said, you must deny yourself. Oh, your script's out the window. It's no longer following your thing. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Oh, it's going to be embracing a sacrifice. And follow me. Take up his script. Take up his call upon your life. Do the thing that he is calling you to do. At some point... All of us have to make that choice. And, and I think we need to, we need to recognize that with, with Zechariah and Elizabeth, it's not like if they had taken John and just raised him in their community and just raised him as their son and just kind of, yeah, that whole angel thing, I'm not too sure exactly about that. I mean, that was really intense, and I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just... Uh, yeah, Zechariah Jr., he just, you know, I'm not sure what it means in his life. You know, they could have lived a very good life. He was a priest. Zechariah Jr. would have been a priest. It's not like he was, you know, Zechariah was a tax collector or he was, he, he was a rebel who was out murdering Roman soldiers. It's not like they were choosing to follow God's thing instead of this bad thing. But they were putting aside what was good in order to embrace what was best. They were following God's plan. Well, it says there in verse 64 that immediately his mouth, that is Zechariah's mouth, was open. So we remember when the angel spoke to Zechariah, it said, you're, you're going to have a son, your wife's going to have a son, you're going to name him John. And Zechariah went, yeah, right. <laughs> have you seen how old I am? Yeah, it, the angel said, okay, shut up. Seriously, until the baby's born, you're just not going to talk because um, you can't seem to speak out of faith. So you're just going to be quiet until the baby's born. And so sure enough, as soon as the baby is born, here it is circumcision. Now Zechariah's mouth is opened and he began to speak praising God. 
he was not going to make the same mistake again, you know? The angel pops back in. Okay, tell the kids 10, shut up. No, 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 no. He's on task now. He's, he's on, folks. He, he has learned his lesson. He's praising God. And it says that fear came among all those around them. And all these things were talked about throughout the hill country. And they were asking, what then will this child become? Well, what things were, were they talking about? Well, the angelic visitation. You can bet Zechariah had a story to tell, right? Especially to those relatives who were like, Zechariah, what do you mean no Zechariah Jr.? John, we don't know any Johns. Other than that guy down the street, we don't even like him. Why are you naming him? Why are you breaking from our tradition? Zechariah has a story to tell of an angelic visitation. Hey, John's birth to extremely old parents, they were talking about that. Hey, Zechariah's nine-month silence followed by a miraculous opening of his mouth. They were talking about this young man whose parents put him on a different track, a different path to embrace a life calling, a purpose that was greater than himself. It was greater than his family. It was greater than his community. You see, John had been put there for a purpose, for a, 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 at a specific time, a, in a specific place. God's hand was on him. He was set apart to live for the Lord. God put John there. He put him then. He put him with them for a specific purpose. And dear friends, I believe with all my heart that he has put you here. He has put you now. And he has put you amongst those with whom he has put you for a purpose. Because you see, in the middle of the context where you live out your life, this is what is true of you. 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for his possession. So that... So that you, you are chosen by God. He has selected you. He has designed you. He has placed you where he has placed you so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God has put you here. He has put you now. He has put you with those with whom he has put you so that you can declare his glory. You have a purpose, a task, meaning. It's no less true of us than it was of John. Verse 67, then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Have you noticed how often so far in the Gospel of Luke, we have read that someone was filled with the Holy Spirit. Happens again and again. The baby John, not even born yet. Uh, this little infant still in utero. Here he is filled with the Holy Spirit and, and leaping within Elizabeth's womb. And then Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she, she speaks out this incredible encouragement to Mary. And here, Zechariah filled with the Holy Spirit, 
speaks out an amazing declaration of God's salvation. Listen to what he says. He said, blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in the ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore with our father Abraham. How badly we need the filling of God's spirit, individually, corporately as God's body. We need the filling of God's spirit so that we can be challenged, so that we can be encouraged, so that we can be reminded of the things that God has done so that we can hear him speak to us. Well, what does the Spirit say through Zechariah? Well, he says that the Lord has visited and provided redemption for his people, that he's raised up a horn of salvation, that meaning a strong salvation. He's done what he said he would do. Psalm, 1, or Psalm 18, verse 2, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. God is my redeemer. God is my savior. God is the one who rescues me. And Zechariah is reminding us that the Lord has saved us, that the Lord again has rescued his people. But this time it's going to look different because you think about this. Zechariah is saying this in the midst of living in a Roman-occupied Israel. When he says that God is, is setting them free from their enemies, he's not talking about the Romans there. But rather, he's talking about the fact that God is setting them free from the slavery to sin. He set his people free from, from Egypt. He, he delivered them out of bondage in Babylon. But here he is doing a greater work. He is doing a greater thing in that he is setting us free from slavery and captivity to sin. And part way through verse 69, he says, in the house of his servant David, that this Savior, this Messiah is going to come to the house of his servant David. And, and again, Jesus, as we read the, the lineage in those first verses, he comes from the house of David, uh, just as Jeremiah talked about. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Look, the days are coming, Jeremiah says. This is the Lord's declaration when I will raise up a righteous branch for David. I'm going to raise up the Messiah out of the family of David. And here is Jesus. John, his predecessor, coming to point people to him. Do you notice this? Here is John's dad. He, his son has been born. He, he's dreaming big dreams for his son. But when the Spirit comes upon him, where does his focus turn? To Jesus, to the Savior, to the one that his son will be pointing to. As Zechariah himself begins to point to the Savior, he says that, that God has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, taking us all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. 
There where the Lord says to Abram, to go out from your land, from your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse any who treat you with contempt. And then this last part, this last part, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. There's only one way that Abraham has blessed you. And that's that Jesus comes from his line. That the Savior, the Messiah, came through Abraham. Partway through verse 73, he's given us the privilege, since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies, to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. Man, what a description of the ministry of John the Baptist. He, here's one who will serve without fear, fearless, speaking boldly the truths of God. He, he, he ministers in holiness and righteousness. John the Baptist calling the people to purity, calling the people to repent from sin. In his presence and all of our days. John the Baptist, not just having a season of worship or office hours where he would minister in God's name, but really it was his life was a ministry. A ministry that was empowered by the Spirit because of the work that Jesus would do. Isn't that kind of crazy? You and I, we understand that we live out our lives not under the law, right? But under the Spirit. That, that, that our acceptance by God is not based upon our performance because our performance would never be good enough. Our acceptance by God is based upon what Christ did in the past on our behalf. And John the Baptist here, Zechariah looks forward to what Christ will do. We look back at what Christ did. They look forward to what he will do. just as it is for us. There, Romans 8 describes the dynamic, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Isn't that what it describes here? To serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness in his presence all of our days. Now Zechariah turns to his son to speak to his baby son. You ever do that when, when your kids were little? You speak things to them that their little minds can't comprehend? I don't mean when they're in junior high. I mean like when they're, you're, you're actually holding them, you, you know, it, it, and you look at your kid. Zechariah looks at John and he sees what God has for him, and it's powerful. He says, and now you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways and to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Zechariah sees that God's purpose for John is for him to point the world of his day to Jesus. That is, that is the mission that God has for John. That is the reason that God has placed John there. Man, parents, we got to get this. 
Our, our job as parents is not to prepare our kids to have a good life. Our job as parents is not to prepare our kids to be good citizens. Our job as parents is to prepare our kids to do that thing for which God made them. And that's a far greater thing. That's a far, far greater thing. Our kids are not there just to continue the family line. Our kids are not there just to provide lawn mowing and shoveling services until they, you know, decide to move out. Our kids are there so that we can shape them and we can form them and prepare them for the task for which God created them. And what is that task? To be his ambassadors, to be his messengers in this world. Um, there is a, a reference here to, to the rising of the sun in what Zechariah says. And, and we think that's probably a, a reference um, to, to Malachi, I believe it's chapter 4. Where, where he talks about the sun coming up, God's deliverance being like the rising of the sun, that the light is shed abroad, that, you know, the sun comes up and now you can see and things begin to make sense. You begin to be able to see and to comprehend that God is, is going to be at work in this boy. God has made John to be a messenger. Malachi 3.1 says of him, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord will seek, the Lord you seek will suddenly come into his temple. The John is going to come before the Messiah. He's going to open the door. He's going to open the way. He's going to point people to him. And dear friends, that is the ministry that God has called us to as well. You and I are invited by God to take part in his bigger story. We are invited by God into his plan of redemption for the world. He has invited us to join him as his ambassadors, as his messengers, as his representatives here. He invites us to, to leave behind our own script, to leave behind our own agenda, and to instead follow his. You know, Jesus, uh, right before he departed from his disciples. There in John chapter 20. He said to his disciples, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. God the Father sent God the Son to put on human flesh to live amongst us. so that we might know him. And as God sent Jesus, Jesus says to his followers, to his disciples, so I'm sending you. I'm sending you to be my representatives here, to shed my light into this world. Look at verse 78. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness in the shadow of death 
to guide our feet into the way of peace. The day that God would come to save them would be like the sun coming up, bringing light and life into the darkness and death of this world. Isaiah 9 prophesies about the Messiah. He says this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Dear friends, not only does God bring divine disruptions into our lives, times where things get so crazy and we don't know what God is doing, and yet it causes us to draw near to him and to get close with him. And as we submit ourselves to him in the midst of those, we find them to be times of blessing. Oh, sometimes chaos, yes, but blessing. But more than that, he invites us into his greater plan, his great disruption of this world, its system, its course. He invites us to be his representatives here, his light bearers, to, to point people to Jesus in the midst of the darkness of this world, to shine the light of his love and his grace into every corner of the places that we live. But we have to choose it. Like Zechariah and Elizabeth, we can live just good moral lives or we can embrace his plan. We can embrace spending our lives for his kingdom taking his light out into the darkness of this world. Let's be light bearers. Let's be signposts that point the world around us to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, for the amazing privilege and truth that you invite us. God, we are unworthy. We are not terribly useful, ill-equipped, weak, prone to, prone to failure. But you are so good. You are so gracious and kind to us. Lord, we ask for the empowering of your Holy Spirit. God, we, we ask that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction in those areas where we need to repent and that you would just cleanse us, Lord. You'd crucify our flesh, that you would, you, you would shape us and mold us and make us useful tools in your hand. And Lord, that you would pour out your light in us, that it would just shine forth. God, as we go out every week into this world, as we live out our lives in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, that, that you would radiate out from within us. God, fill us with your spirit daily. 
stir us from your word. Speak to us in time of prayer. Equip us and empower us to represent you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.